Welcome to the City of Refuge podcast, where our mission is to equip a diverse community of Christ followers to make him known. All right, let the church say amen. amen. He is risen. Now, I grew up in a church tradition where we did that call and response, but we also would always have a couple of enthusiastic individuals who would add on an hallelujah at the end. So I'd like to try that with you here. He is risen. He is risen Hallelujah. Excellent. Well, my name is Brandon Freemian. Uh, I'm on staff here at the church, and it is a joy to get to celebrate Resurrection Sunday with you all. So I'd like for you to think back to a time when you experienced receiving good news that was life-changing but was also delayed a little bit in getting to you. So that could have been a job. Maybe you had applied for a job and you finally get that phone call that says you have gotten the job. Now, the decision had already been made. You already had the job. But until you get that phone call, you don't know it. And once that phone call is made, everything on the other side of that, once you get that good news, is different. Maybe it was being accepted to a school. Maybe it was that you're going to have a child. Maybe it is a proposal of marriage or some other kind of proposal, something that the decision had already been made, the thing had already happened, but the news hadn't gotten to you yet. But once the news got to you, everything was different. Now, some of y'all see me coming, and that's all right. Because today we are looking at a story where we're going to see three women who are going to get good news. The thing had already happened, but we're going to read about the moment they get the news, and on the other side of that, everything changes. So we're going to be in Mark 16, reading in verses 1 through 8. We are continuing our series through the Gospel of Mark And today we are going to read Mark's account of the resurrection. It says, When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on, on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? But go, tell his disciples and Peter, that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. All right, so here at the beginning, we see three women, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome coming to the tomb where Jesus lay. Now, in the previous section of Mark, verses 42 through 47, 
we read about uh, the burial of Jesus. So after being crucified on Friday, uh, Joseph of Arimathea, who was uh, one of the uh, part of the, the rulers of the, the synagogue, came and asked Pilate to have the body of Jesus. Jesus received a rush burial because the next day was the Sabbath, and you could not do any work on the Sabbath. And so Joseph hastily removed the body of Jesus, says that wrapped him in a linen shroud, and then laid him in the tomb, and then sealed it with a rock. And then all day on the Sabbath, Jesus remained in the tomb. Now, because it had been so hasty, there were some of the customs that would have normally been done when somebody died that were not able to be tended to. In particular, typically the body was anointed with spices and oil as a way of honoring the person that had died. Now, these three women have come basically at the first moment they were able to do that for Jesus, to seek to honor him in the midst of his death, which would have been a potentially dangerous thing to do considering he had died as a criminal. He had died as an enemy of the rulers of the Israelites as well as an enemy of Rome. But in some ways, what they're doing would have been fairly mundane. This was just a task that needed to be done that was part of the ceremonial burying of someone who had been close to you. And it's significant that these women didn't seem to expect that anything would be out of the ordinary. They thought they were just coming to do this honestly rather unpleasant but needed to honoring task. But they didn't seem to expect anything, despite the fact that Jesus had explicitly said that he would rise after three days. And he'd also left some more subtle hints. For instance, John preached about when Jesus was in Bethany, and the woman came and she broke the perfume over Jesus' feet. And Jesus, telling them what was going on, said, that she was anointing him beforehand for his burial because Jesus knew that that wasn't going to be able to take place afterwards. So in a strange kind of way, these women are coming to do what had already been done there in Bethany. They just didn't understand its significance. At the root, though, these three women were seeking to honor Jesus And they were doing something mundane, routine, and honestly rather unpleasant. But on the way, they realized they have a logistical problem. The stone. So the stone had been rolled in front of the tomb in order to keep people, animals, anything out that could have disturbed the body. But this same thing is also going to keep them out. And so they're trying to figure out how they are going to navigate the stone. But this turns out to not be a problem. They show up, the stone is gone. And this is the moment where they get the good news. Because they step into the tomb and they see the body isn't there, but it says there's a young man there, an angel, who tells them, don't be alarmed. 
You seek Jesus who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. The event had already happened. Jesus has already risen. The body is not there. This is the moment where they get the good news. Now imagine that morning for just a second, not just for these women. Imagine what was going on elsewhere, just in Jerusalem. People getting up, probably getting breakfast, going about their days. Maybe someone who knew they were going to have to do the laundry that day. Maybe someone was writing a letter to somewhere. Just these normal, common, mundane things, the normal days that we would have that we recognize, just getting up and going about the tasks of life. They're going about those things, not yet realizing that the most significant thing in history, the thing that is going to change everything, has taken place. They just haven't gotten the news yet. Now, Mark's gospel ends abruptly. Verse 8 says, And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone. Now, some of your Bibles likely have a longer ending to Mark, and most commentators kind of universally agree now that likely that was added later on by someone else, that it was not part of the original text of Mark. And you can sort of understand why someone might want to do that, because otherwise it kind of just ends there with the women kind of running away. Though we do find out from the other Gospels that, yes, they do go. They do tell the, the disciples that the message begins to spread. The good news goes out. But Mark leaves us in no doubt about two things. One is that Jesus died and was buried. And the other is that he rose from the dead and that there were witnesses that came and saw that he was not in the tomb. Now, How does this change everything? I've been saying that. I've been saying this is good news. This is good news. This is something that is going to change everything that comes after it. But what is the significance? What is it that changes? Well, later on in 1 Corinthians, Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. And he's writing to some people who seem to be denying that the resurrection could take place or that it did take place or that resurrection could happen at all. And he writes to them and explains to them why Jesus coming back from the dead is so important. He says this in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 12. He says, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testify about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. 
then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Paul says that if Christ is not raised, we who have shown up this morning to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ are most to be pitied. Why? He says because it means our faith is futile. It's because it means that we are still in our sins. Now, what does he mean by that? Well, if Jesus was not raised from the dead, then he died from sin, just like everyone who had come before him. Now, maybe it wasn't his sin. He died for the sins of others, but he still died from sin, and sin and death won. But if he's raised... If he comes back, if death is not the final word, if sin does not conquer him, then when he comes back, he demonstrates that he conquered sin and he conquered death and that they did not win. Jesus won. He also says if there is no resurrection, then we have hope in this life only. Our eternal hope, the idea that someday we will be able to experience the new heavens and the new earth with God, that there will be a resurrection for us that we have to look forward to, all of that is built on that Jesus was resurrected from the dead and therefore demonstrates that he has the power of resurrection. Otherwise, he says, the only thing we have to look forward to is the here and now. The only thing we have to look forward to is this life. And because of that, if Christ has not been raised, we are of most people to be pitied. Because we have hope where there actually is no hope. But, verse 20, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead the first fruit of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. What Paul is saying here is the first time that Jesus came, he reversed the curse of Adam. He talks about there that through one man, death came. And he's talking there about Genesis 2 and 3, where we see Adam and Eve fall into sin. And because of that, death come into the world. And because of that, every single person since Adam has faced Death in some form or fashion. But just as through one man, Adam, came death, so now through Jesus Christ, who has demonstrated in coming back from the dead that death has no hold on him, now resurrection life has come. And then he talks about the progressive reign of Christ. One of the things we have talked about a lot in Mark is this theme of Jesus being our king. 
We see it over and over in the Gospel of Mark of him presenting Jesus as our king in places like the triumphal entry where you see him come in to Jerusalem as this humble king. And he talks here about the progression of Jesus' reign. Where first, the first time he came, Jesus came as a humble king. He comes as our servant king, but he still came to conquer But what he came to conquer was he came to conquer sin and death. And that is what he did in his work on the cross and then in his resurrection. He demonstrated that the power of sin and the power of death had been broken. And that was the first time he came. But now he talks about also the second time when he comes to bring every rule and authority under his feet. That there is going to come a time where Jesus is going to come and demonstrate his rule over everything. And in the meantime, he has offered us terms of peace. He has died for our sins and on our behalf. He has given us terms of peace. He gives us peace with God. He offers us resurrection power. He offers us the hope of resurrection for us. He offers us a new life, a life lived following him as king. A life of joy because fullness of joy is found in God's presence. These are the terms of peace that he has offered to us. And he asks of us that we would believe. That we would believe what has been testified to us today. That Christ has died. That Christ was resurrected and that Christ will come again. So I asked you to think about earlier times when you received good news. When did you receive this news? When did you receive the good news that Jesus was resurrected from the dead? I'm guessing it was probably a day sort of like those people in Jerusalem who were just going about the mundane things of their life, going about their day-to-day routines when they got the news that Jesus was not dead. For many of you today. Today is a day of celebrating the day you got that news. Today is a day of remembering both the resurrection of Jesus and the day that we came to hear about his resurrection, put our faith in it, and experience the joy of the realities that that brings to us and also leads us to profound worship of God and his power and what he has done. But for others... Perhaps today is more of an invitation. Perhaps you have not heard the news before. Perhaps this is the day where you got the good news that Jesus died and was resurrected. Or perhaps you have heard it before, but didn't know what it meant, didn't know why it was important. If that's you today, I want to extend an invitation to believe. To, to put your faith in Jesus Christ who died for your sins but then was resurrected showing that he has conquered sin and death and is now inviting you into new life with him. So I'd like for us to pray together. And I'm going to ask two things. One, 
if you have your faith in Christ, I want you to spend this time just reflecting on when you got that good news and what that good news has meant in your life since then. How has it changed everything since then? But if you are not currently someone who follows Jesus, I want to invite you to confess to him today your need for him, your need for his forgiveness. Confess to him that you believe that he died on your behalf and was resurrected. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we take time now to reflect on your resurrection. And for some of us, God, we take time now to just reflect with joy when we receive the good news. But if you're here and you have not, I I ask that you would pray now to the Father, that you would confess to him your need for him, that you would confess to him that you are a sinner that needs his grace and that you are trusting in him to be your salvation. Heavenly Father, we give you just praise and glory for what you did. Lord, just your your power, your majesty that is on display here, your goodness, your mercy, your grace. Lord, we give you all the honor and the glory for it. And thank you, God, for this good news. Thank you, God, that we heard the good news. All these things I pray in your precious and holy name. Amen.